boy is mine. The boy is mine. The boy is mine. The boy is mine. The boy is mine. Sometimes a song is just a song. And sometimes it's a hook, a tribute, a savvy business strategy, and an enigma all rolled into one. It was 1998, and two rising female R&B singers had an alleged feud. Maybe there was really something behind it. Maybe it was over a guy. Maybe one of them punched the other. Probably it was just the press deciding, we can't have two successful young black female singers. They might take a spot from a male singer. So Brandy and Monica made the smartest move they could possibly make. They collaborated on a song that would inflame rumors without settling anything. They made a video featuring a hot young actor making smoky eyes at both of them. The song went to number one, stayed there for 13 weeks, and cemented the superstar status of both artists. They're still at it. Quote, The fans have no idea what really took place, what really caused the initial friction, and we vowed to keep that between us, said Monica in 2020. Today on Hidden Jukebox, Brandy and Monica's The Boy Is Mine. I looked all over the place to try and figure out if there was an actual feud. and Who knows? It, it appears that there was not... Or that if there was, nobody can figure out what it was about. It, yeah. It's it's not like a West Coast, East Coast rap thing. It was like, maybe they <laughs> no, met at a exactly party. like that. Maybe they met at a party or something and were like, eh, not my favorite person. Right. I think I think the, the, the nature of the feud was that they weren't best friends. Yeah. It, it's like, no, that can't be. You have to be right. best friends. You're both recording artists. <laughs> right. So this is a really interesting song. I wanted to do this for no other reason than just this song got stuck in my head a couple weeks ago. And let's discuss why it got stuck in your head to start out. Because, okay. you know, even though I'm, I think I'm more critical listener than the average music listener, which I was having a discussion about this yesterday, that musicians just in general tend to way over analyze anything that they're listening to with pop music like this i i'm not usually listening like that i'm just like oh it's got a hook this song doesn't have a bridge this song doesn't really do anything except go back and forth between these two parts and the verses uh not to be too critical are not that memorable so this song basically no, winds up not. yeah this song basically winds up being this chorus that gets stuck in your head like the ultimate earworm and yep. that's why it was absolutely enormous is everybody's walking around just going need to for like weeks Months. and weeks yeah yeah and, and so you probably got it in your head because you're like walking down to get a tea or something and you're like need to and and maybe maybe it was because you were thinking about female feuds maybe it's because you got Mikai Miki Pfeiffer stuck in your head. Mikai Pfeiffer, yeah. And you're um, like, yeah. I think he did a great job in that video. He's got this this face where like like he sort of smiles like, yeah, you know I'm hot. Like, like you know what's going on. And he's he's really good at that. And that's like his one move throughout the video, and it's very funny. <laughs> well, I I love the fact that this song is more or less based off of the idea of the Jerry Springer show. Mm -hmm. and, yes. And like, I didn't realize that I didn't remember the video, which does kind of allude to that. And it's like, 
I wanted this song to be a bizarre love triangle triangle story like what they used to do on the Jerry Springer show. And, and that's ex- that's exactly what it is. Right, because at and the so- end of the video, he opens the door and uh, and one of them is standing there and then opens the door a little further and they're both standing there like, like you know, we're on to you and we're going to kick your ass. It's very funny. Well, and it's great because they picked this pretty famous actor to play the, the, the guy who they're fighting over in the video and he does a really, really good job at it. Yeah. So it, I I thought it was super memorable. So let's go back to the song form because first of all the song has a wacky intro <laughs> and then yeah. it has a spoken word part and then the the chord progression throughout the entire song never changes. So it's it's sort of like free fallen in that way but like with just two chords. Right. Right. And and again it's amazing that that can work and that it can create a song that is this popular because it is like when you analyze it and you break it down, this song is doing virtually nothing, but it works yeah, it, so it's, well. It's like a drone sort of. Yeah. So uh, this this song was written uh, by kind of a songwriting team, but mainly these two guys, LaShawn Daniels and Rodney Dark, Ty- Dark Child Jerkins. Um possibly the best name ever (laughs) which one rodney Rodney jerkins yeah (laughs) i I think rodney jerkins is a great name without throwing dark child it is um lashawn daniels unfortunately died in 2019 uh Mm -hmm. rodney jerkins dark child was 20 when he wrote this song which is amazing and talk about hit makers i mean we've talked about hit makers on this show before these guys wrote if You Had My Love by J-Lo, they wrote over half of Michael Jackson's last album. They wrote Say My mm-hmm. Name by Destiny's Child, the Lady Gaga Beyonce hit Telephone. I mean, these guys were super hit makers, and they started yeah. with this song, which is, is good because if I said, yeah, Dark Child's first hit song was when he was 15, I'd be like, this isn't fair, I quit. Yeah. One so one thing that's interesting to me about the song and that, that really, like, made me made me say that it's like sort of a drone is that like the last half of the song basically is is both of them improvising over the chorus like which it just which goes. was very common in r&b and hip-hop yeah and still is um it's, it's just but, when you have two stars doing it it makes it a little different yeah so they're playing off each other but also like the even like I couldn't think of another song. I know they're out there, and like if if you know one or if listeners know one, let me know. That uh, has just two chords, and they're both minor chords. So the song is in F sharp minor, and it just goes back and forth between F sharp minor and C sharp minor over and over. Um, and that is very unusual, I think. Yeah, um, you had mentioned uh, Maneater. Mm-hmm. Not, not that it has that same form, but that uh, that Maneater, like the last half of the song, is improvising over the chorus. Right. Um, but but it doesn't have that same chord thing going on. No. And, and there, I'm sure there are songs out there that became popular that do that sort of thing, but it would take a lot of thinking about it for me to get to that because it it usually is how a song, like songwriting starts, but then... Somebody yeah. says, well, this needs to get fleshed out. And in this case, they didn't flesh it out. Right. Uh, I also like how the uh, the song starts off with like that arpeggiator um, keyboard part that really sounds like I just got a Casio keyboard and let's see what this does. But it totally works. 
which, which was kind of an 80s thing and this, this oh, yeah. came out in, in 1998 and they're like yeah this still totally works um i wanted this song like when i first heard it uh to be a play on the uh michael jackson paul mccartney track the girl is mine and it actually is the beauty of the internet being yes. able to research these things nowadays is it's like oh so they actually were doing that which is fantastic and so that the fact that not only is the name of the song a play on that but but that it's two stars in their own right getting together and making a hit song together it like the whole thing is kind of meta in that way yeah you had uh, mentioned that the, that this song appears on on both of their solo yes, albums. I thought that was so interesting that this song, like both of them, put this song on their solo albums. They came out that year, and and Monica's album was called "The Boy Is Mine," and that th- that is so rare for that to happen. Like often when there's a duet, like it'll appear on someone's greatest hits album and someone's solo album, but like there are very few other examples where the where the song appeared on both singers, like you know, studio solo albums. Um, the one, uh, the two, two examples I could find were uh, Eurythmics and Aretha Franklin, Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves, and Tom Waits and Bette Midler, I Never Talked To Strangers, which is a song that I had never heard of. I tried researching this after I saw you write this, and they just don't do this. Yeah. I like, I, I started looking up uh, famous uh, collaborations like Islands in the Stream, uh, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, which, by the way, is written by uh, Mo Gibb from uh, the, the Bee Gees. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Amazing songwriter. Uh, that appears on a Ken- Kenny Rogers album. Dolly Parton put it on a couple of compilations later, but it was really a Kenny Rogers song. Uh, going back to The Girl is Mine. The Girl is Mine is off of Thriller. Uh, it's not on a McCartney album. They did it another song together called say 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 which wasn't nearly as well known and that wound up as a mccartney song with michael jackson right but trying to find these these like hit songs by two artists and both of them putting it on their album it just doesn't happen there must be some like label business reason for this but i don't know that that's exactly what i was going to say is is like they think that they can sell it better if it's only on one album. I mean, if you think about it, it's like, well, we want uh, this album to sell two million copies. If we split this up, we're going to sell less of this album, less of this album. I guess, yeah. Which, which I don't know if they were on the same label at the same time or not. I didn't even I don't bother think to look that so, up. But I don't. That's a good question. Um. So, my question was, what? made this song so big i mean we we talked about the fact that it's repetitive but like what else were people listening to at the time okay so uh i i wasn't sure so i i was like pretty oblivious in 1998 i was probably listening to i don't know what 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 like rock albums came out that year it was not it was certainly not a big chart year for rock well that year was like that was really the time when like third eye blind and matchbox 20 and all of them were were on the rise and neither of us were really listening to that stuff beastie boys intergalactic um so 1998 was a huge year for r&b the top song of the year was too close by next which i think is kind of a largely forgotten song (laughs) i i I was gonna say i i didn't pull it up unfortunately 
I don't know the song off the top of my head. Yeah, The Boy Is Mine was the number two song of the year. Usher had a ton of hit songs that year. Monica had another number one song that year. So it was just it was just a time when like R and B ruled the charts. Not which, it was you know it wasn't the only thing on the charts, but it made up a big part of the top ten. Which is weird because like everything I found, this song seemed to be huge. Like like how it winds up the number two song when it was at number one for thirteen weeks. Apparently, this mostly forgotten song by Next was absolutely enormous. Yeah, I don't know either, but I mean, it means that that song like just had like even higher concentrated sales during a shorter period of time. But yeah, there are there are a lot of forgotten songs. If you go back, like, do you know that column that uh, I don't remember if it's in, like Stereo Gum or whatever, but like the number ones where they go back through like all of the Billboard number ones and like a lot of them almost nobody remembers. <laughs> No, and I, I apologize but, to any fa- any fans of of Next, but well, well, I was I was having this discussion yesterday too about songs that uh, and and this isn't one of them necessarily, but songs that you can't believe that they wound up uh, even charting at all. <laughs> sure, sorry, I, can, I can hear my dog That's barking okay. in the background. Um, like like uh, one of my employees is twenty seven and he's a guitar player and uh. I pull up uh, tip throw, t- Tiptoe Through the Tulips by Tiny Tim. <laughs> yeah, sure. 19, 1968. Now, it didn't hit number one, but it hit number 17 on the charts. And you hear that song and you go, how? But, I mean, there, there have always been novelty songs. Like, you know, uh, uh, My Ding-A-Ling was, was a, I'm sure, was a hit song. Uh, like, more recently, the, like, Pen, Pineapple, Pen song. My friend, uh, Jeremy Elliott, shout out Jeremy uh after our last episode wrote to me and said uh when are you going to do the crash test dummies big hit from the 90s and i'm like i'm like isn't that a novelty song it is why not but i mean it's good it it's good but that's totally like another fluke song where you hear it now or you play it for somebody who's never heard it and you go this song was absolutely huge, and somebody's gonna go. Yeah. You're fucking with me. That there's no way. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Could we do some more like chart geekery? Yes. Okay. So uh, <laughs> this was this was like the most interesting fact that Wikipedia could come up with about the chart performance of this song. Quote: It became the second song in the history of the chart to ascend directly to number one from a previous position beneath the top twenty at number twenty-three, following the Beatles and the twenty-seven to one leap of their single "Can't Buy Me Love" in April nineteen sixty-four. Now, the thing that's <laughs> there's a lot that's weird about that, but the, the thing that's weird about this to me is. Can't Buy Me Love was was explainable because the the Beatles weren't really making a splash and then they appear on Ed Sullivan and become superstars overnight. So, of course, their song I that's kind that of on the I think that was two years earlier, wasn't it? No, Ed Sullivan was 1964. Hold on a was second. Was it? Okay. Yeah, you're yes. right. February 1964. I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, so that one's explainable to me. I don't know... I don't know what it was with this song where it was like people were sort of listening to it like what happened because I don't think that Brandy or Monica had some sort of big thing happen where it was like well let's check out what's going on with them and then they become I mean, could it have been overnight. that the video like got tons of play on MTV 
I mean, that's usually what happened back then. That was still when yeah. they were showing videos. So it's possible. Uh, I don't think that Brandy had started doing Moesha yet because that certainly right. catapulted her so. to superstardom. Um, or or had she? I think she had. Wow. We're, this is just going to be an episode of like us Googling shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moesha, January 1996 to May 2001. Huh. So she was already Moesha. So <laughs> she was always Moesha. So yeah. so that doesn't explain it either. I don't understand exactly what I think it's just a random here. thing. Like, it's not even that interesting a fact. Speaking of random facts, uh-huh. uh, I found all sorts of great things researching this song. One of them being Monica briefly dated <laughs> rapper C-Murder in 2003 until he was incarcerated for murder in 2003. <laughs> yeah, sad, sad, but also, yeah. Uh, also, also rung a little bit too true, yeah. unfortunately. Um, okay, are you ready for a pop quiz? I'm going to put you on the sure. spot here. All right, while sure. I was looking at like the chart performance of this song, I, uh, I looked at like what are just the top Billboard songs of all time uh, in terms of like total sales and streams, and... Uh, and uh, can you name the top two off the top of your head? See, I started uh, researching this song thinking that it was going to be way high up on the list because it spent 13 weeks at number one. No, it it's, it's in the top 30, but not the top 20, I think. Yeah, it's, it's not even close to number one, which is surprising. I think that, right. that Boys to Men is one of them. Boys to Men is, is for sure in the top five, but not the top two. Is it before 1970? So the the thing that's funny about it is one number one is a very new song and number two is a very old song. Okay, number one has to be something like Old Town Road. You're close. It's Blinding Lights by the Weekend. Okay, and what's number two? The Twist by Chubby Checker. <laughs> uh. So, like, how long until until we see the poster? <laughs> For the this festival headlined by like the two the two uh, best selling single artists of all time, The Weekend <laughs> and Chubby Checker. Wait a minute, is Chubby Checker still alive? I'm not. I think so. I'm I'm not googling that one. Yeah, I'm no, sorry. I, I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't is I don't know if he's still performing or not. He's uh, he's uh, eighty years young. Oh, can he still do the twist? I I mean, with replacement hips, yeah, sure replacement hips <laughs> amazing uh so so the other thing i was gonna say is what what i was listening to at this time exclusively was fish oh uh, this of course was, this was part of my uh music fascism era right uh as friend of the show george mccleary refers to it when you couldn't convince me that anything else was good so Songs like this for me, I've had to go back and basically play catch up to, oh, this was actually a really great song, really well written, really catchy. You couldn't have convinced me to listen to this single or buy the album back then. And now I like when we do these episodes on one song, I like going back and listening to the whole album, checking out what the rest of it was like. And uh, it's all very, very similarly produced. Sure. Um, it's no fish, but it's uh, <laughs> but it, it like these were these were two hit albums. Yeah. At the same time. And and 
they're they're similar in style but what's interesting about sticking these two together is they're very different styles of singers yeah Um, absolutely i i think their voices work really well together because they're really different um i like both of their voices but for me monica's voice is way more interesting yeah i don't know if it's better but like she's not she's not a mariah carey where she's like look at how high i can go look at how low i can go she really sticks in her range it's almost like a (laughs) we always had this joke that that keith sweat really only sings three notes Uh but he sings them so goddamn well oh it's like 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 an anthony oh my god No, not like I, I'm Anthony not saying Kiedis Anthony Kiedis is like Keith Sweat, but he has a very small range. Yeah, well, I think that Monica would be insulted if you said that she has a small range, but she does stick to this this much smaller range than what a lot of singers were doing at that time. For instance, both singers cite Whitney Houston mm-hmm. as their absolute biggest influence. So apparently they did have a lot in common. Whitney Houston could do a lot with her voice. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. No, I think I think like, you know, if you if you're looking at like on a purely like technical level, I think Brandy is the better singer. But Monica is a contralto, which is pretty unusual. That's that's like a low female range. Um, like the, the the classic like contralto pop performance, I think of as um, uh, was it June Pointer of the Pointer Sisters on Automatic? Uh, wow! I I wouldn't even begin to. Oh, that speculate. song is so good. No, um, I know the song, yeah. but but if you ask me which Pointer sister, oh, okay. sister is singing, I I have no idea. I'm actually a uh, secret huge Pointer Sisters fan because a few years ago somebody pointed out to me pointed out. that for for a yeah <laughs> nice uh for a short amount of time their backing band was the headhunters minus herbie hancock oh wow that's cool so you listen to a couple of their albums for instance go out and listen to the album step in and the band is just killing yeah no the pointer sisters were incredible um Anyway, it is it is unusual for for like a, a a female solo star to have as low a voice as Monica does. I know there are some other good examples, but like you know, it brings it like like you just get some like free automatic like sexy presence from that that she uses so well. The one that I was thinking of is Nina Simone. Mm-hmm. Nina Simone Absolutely. has got this low gravelly voice and doesn't really try to do more with it than she can because she totally doesn't need to. Because you hear her, and even if you don't know the song, you're like, that's Nina Simone. Like, she's just killing. Yep. Um, I once took a voice lesson from uh, from a voice teacher named Mary Zimmer, who is uh, like a metal voice coach uh, based in L.A. And she is a like deep contralto and like can sing like, you know, any like like low Eddie Vedder part or whatever. Um, uh, and uh, she like during the lesson, she was like, OK, like sing this for me. I'm like, can we start a little higher than that? Because like I can't sing as low as you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh- Coincidentally, I went and saw Eddie Vedder on Monday night. Oh, how was that? And the drummer was Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, It was great. Good. It it, it felt almost like a family reunion. Um, I, I know that Matt Cameron was there, yet for some reason the one guest star that he brought out on stage 
was Duff McKagan, <laughs> besides his two daughters. Duff McKagan great. came out and did a, a Pretenders cover with them, and he and he was great. He was absolutely fantastic. For those that don't know, Duff McKagan is a longtime resident of Seattle, as well as the famous bassist of uh, Guns N' Roses. Uh, did so, you read the uh, Eddie Vedder interview in the New York Times a couple weeks ago? I did not. Oh, I highly did- recommend it. Like he, you know, Eddie Vedder, I've always like joked like, um, you know, of like the I want to hear him sing all day and I never want to hear him talk uh, because like he mumbles and never seems to have anything to say. And apparently like he outgrew that because this interview is like so he's like become a wise old man. Um and is just like just has so much to say about like the nature of like life and loss and uh, like admitting that uh, you know why why the new Pearl Jam albums aren't as good as like when he was you know uh, twenty twenty two and uh, and uh, you know just trying. Well, then it's a good thing that you didn't go to the show because especially as the front man of what's supposed to be his solo band, they let him just ramble in between each song. <laughs> oh, no and he, doubt. And uh, uh, he still he still does his, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, it made me think of uh, back in the day when we were uh, doing this and uh, Mike, McC- Mike McCready was there. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, he's, so he's, I did st- not, he's still totally doing that. <laughs> I did not listen to this interview, which I don't even know if, it, if the audio is available. It's a print interview that was presumably edited so (laughs) well i did mention to my friend who i was with that uh i feel like like different eras of music have different great great front people and uh for me and when i grew up and was listening to music eddie vetter's still my guy like it oh yeah it made me emotional seeing him and thinking about that i've been listening to this guy for 30 years and he's still just a phenomenal front man even at and that was that was a good old. pick because he's literally the only one left. <laughs> Pretty much, uh, which, by the way, uh, next month my pick. I'm hoping that you'll be cool doing Screaming Trees. Absolutely, lost you. Yes. Because, oh, for uh, sure. Un- unfortunately, we lost Mark Lanigan this week, who is also 57 and such a rare, unique talent. And yeah. we'll definitely get into that. Uh, in in the episode, yeah, I have not listened to enough of the of the like solo and duet stuff that he's done, and like now, like too late. But I I'm gonna go go back and listen to that. Uh, before we do the episode next month, go and listen to the solo album Bubblegum. Okay, it is phenomenal. Yeah, no, Fantastic. I remember. Like, of course, yeah, of course, you and I now we we've like gotten off of R and B, and now we're talking about fucking screaming trees. But like, um, the hearing the song Bed of Roses on on uh, 120 minutes was like such a huge like formative musical moment for me. Bon, Gen- bon Jovi Bed of Roses? No, no, Screaming Trees Bed of Roses. I, I'm joking. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, <sighs> speaking of which, uh, what do you listen to right now, Matthew? Okay, uh, I have been listening to this album. Well, actually, let, let me give a little background to this because this is going to be so fucking nerdy. Um, I there's this, as opposed to everything you normally say. I know. So <laughs> there's this YouTube channel that I like. I love guitar YouTube, um, and I love like guitar pedal YouTube especially. And there's this channel I like called We as a Company that is like nobody, nobody. They have don't really say who they are. I don't think they're like truly anonymous, but nobody cares because they don't have their faces in their videos. They just uh, 
do usually distortion pedals and they wear gloves while they turn the knobs and their videos are like very like nicely produced. And unlike every other guitar video, they don't play blues riffs, they play grunge riffs. Um, and uh, and some shoegaze and like, you know, noisy, noisy stuff, like 90s influence that I really like. And they did a video that was not about a particular pedal. It was about this album that you may or may not have heard of that you need to listen to because it's a really important, totally independent, anonymous anonymous indie rock album and it is called uh to see the next part of the dream by paranool and all we know is that the musician is a solo artist in south korea who made the album like totally in their bedroom and the guitar sound is huge the uh the production is wonderful there it is loaded with hooks it is all sung in korean it is just like an immersive listening experience it is demands to be listened to like loud in the dark is it on spotify yeah. unbelievable okay yeah you i think you are really going to enjoy this it's paranoid p-a-r-a-n-n-o-u-l i don't know what the name means nice um so i uh i'm not always great about listening to albums when they come That's out okay. but um especially because not all of our listeners are in seattle just 95 percent of them <laughs> um I want to make sure that people are listening to Deep Sea Diver. Uh, their last album came out in 2020, end of 2020. Uh, it's called Impossible That Wait. album is so good. It is incredible start to finish. And their lead singer, keyboardist, guitarist, Jessica Dobson, was uh, for a short time the guitar player for The Shins mm -hmm. when they reformed. But she is such a talent on so many levels. And this album would be great if she wasn't great on her own but like the fact that she can effortlessly switch between guitar and keys yep. and is just a great vocalist really worth listening to and then uh next week the dip who uh are doing fantastic nationally but happen to be from bellingham washington i don't are know the coming dip out at with all. their new album they are like a throwback Sam Cooke style soul band. They're like eight or nine pieces with horns tour with all the, the full nine piece band. And you, you would so never believe that this is a group of a bunch of geeky white guys from Bellingham. Okay. That this morning when we were listening to it, my girlfriend, Lori said, uh, Wow, I didn't even know that there are black people in Bellingham. Sorry, <laughs> Bellingham. <laughs> and I said, don't worry, there's not, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, you said. <laughs> um, and, and then I just want to mention, a few months ago, I recommended to you the band Goose. Mm -hmm. And you said, oh, I've heard of Goose. And I didn't realize that right at the same time, a band called Geese has been becoming popular. So... I don't think you heard goose. I think you've heard geese. No, Who no, I heard goose. This uh, goose is like like long and jammy. They are, and geese are now beco becoming very popular. But um, there wow, was just a this is going to lead to this is going to be like an East Coast West Coast rap battle. Like some members of these bands are going to be slain. I'm going to bring up something else in a minute that's also going to completely blow your mind. <laughs> okay. Um, but first, goose has has risen so quickly in terms of popularity mm -hmm. that uh, Thing Festival just got announced in the Northwest, and the headliners are Jungle, Modest Mouse, Father John Misty, and then listed fourth on the list is Goose. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that all of these indie rock and pop fans are sitting there going, 
who and they're going to go out there and this little band from Connecticut is going to have this massive audience there, which is hysterical. The The other thing that I was going to say that's hysterical is I really love this recording artist from the Midwest named Neil Francis. And I only discovered okay, last I have month. I've heard this that, name. Well, you definitely have, because it turns out that there are currently two touring artists named Neil Francis oh, spelled no. differently. I don't know if they're doing each other a service or a disservice, but I saw that Neil Francis was coming and I'm like, oh, sweet. And then I saw that Neil Francis was coming on a a different date and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I had this experience recently with two artists with almost the same name. I don't know if it's going to come to me. The the one you like is N-E-A-L, right? Uh, N-E-I-L. Oh, no. Okay. Yes, I his think the, album I think is the NEAL is more popular. Uh, they, he is more popular. the The other one is more of this soul keyboardist. They're both worth listening to, to tell you the truth. Okay, yeah, all right. I yeah. found both of their websites. This will be interesting. And you know, Goose, Geese sounds good too. I, I am sure that I was listening to Goose, the correct, the correct waterfowl. I've started listening to Geese now as well, and also worth listening to. Yeah. Okay. This is this is so going to get really I had ugly. A, apparently, I had a lot of suggestions this month. Yeah. Nicely done. Okay. <laughs> I will put all of those in the show notes, um, including including uh, the uh, some somebody named Neil Francis, possibly possibly a rugby player, which is another Neil Francis. Um, oh, perfect. I don't know anything anything else before before we uh, sign out. Well. Uh, Oh, yeah, we have a sign-off, don't we? Yes, we do. (laughs) You can find us on hiddenjukebox.com, facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, instagram.com slash jukeboxhidden, all of your favorite uh, podcasting platforms. Uh, Anything else? Uh, No, we'll be back next month with Screaming Trees. Yeah. Until then, uh, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton.